Let us pray. Come, Holy Spirit, and fill the hearts of these, your faithful, who have gathered here out of love for you. And may my words and our hearts together glorify you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, on Tuesday of this coming week, the Southern Baptist Convention will meet for their denominational meeting in Nashville, Tennessee. Now, I would expect that only a true church geek would know that. But I encourage you in the week ahead to watch the news about it. It seems that there is already quite a bit of controversy and crisis facing the delegates. The delegates, by the way, are called messengers. And prior to their arrival, there has been a lot happening. In recent months, several, several high-profile members have left the Southern Baptist Convention, charging the group's leadership with racism, bigotry, sexism, psychological terrorism, and covering up sexual abuse cases. In the last couple of weeks, Russell Moore, the president of the SBC's Powerful Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission, didn't just accuse the Southern Baptist leadership, but put before them two explosive letters that revealed a moral, morally corrupt and powerful, hung, powerfully hungry culture across the church. Okay, let's be honest here. Let's not just wag our fingers at the Southern Baptists because if you've been a part of a church for any length of time, if you've followed any kind of denominational structure, well, you know that um, any denomination or any church um, has struggled with issues of corruption and all these other things. So the church is an imp imperfect vessel. Yes, called into being by God. Yes, is part of is the body of Christ. But still, it is made up of human beings, and we are imperfect at best. Now, we lay all that out, but you must remember in balance, in balance, uh, the Southern Baptist Convention, the United Methodist Church, the United Church of Christ, the Episcopal Church, and you go on and on, have transformed things. You know, I was always a little jealous of my Southern Baptist friends because, you know, they knew their Bible. You know, the Methodists, we, we know a lot of verses, we just don't know its address. <laughs> so I just don't want us to wag our finger at the Southern Baptist Convention. They've got their challenges, but so does every other single denomination or church in existence. So we might not be surprised by the report coming out of the preparation for the convention on Tuesday. But what we should note is that there is a portion of the Christian church, the body of Christ, a certain segment of American Protestantism, and more than you would believe, who has been over the course of time determined to embrace authoritarianism. Now, this comes with, a, with support for a divinely ordained hierarchy 
in the church and society. I mean, and lots of denominations subscribe to this, that there is a hierarchy and establishes those who are in power as privileged patriarchs of this holy structure. And no denomination and no church is free from this view and leadership lifestyle. Now, dare I say, the Christian church in America today is a far cry from that church described in our reading today, which gives us cause to consider how that early church did what they did and how we have, I don't want to say fallen, but we've stumbled as the church has moved into the 21st century, some 2,000 plus years since the event of Jesus' death and resurrection. I think what must first be said about all of this is that the events that we just heard described in the Acts of the Apostles of the people on the way that gathered as the first Christian community, that they had just encountered, they had just encountered the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. I mean, this event of this gathering and of these people who were so transformed was a result of an encounter with God. I mean, they were transformed and they maintained that by gathering together, by being in community, by, um, by praying, by breaking bread together. I mean, this is how they maintained this spiritual energy for who they were. They were also likely a group of people who had never in their wildest dreams thought that they would be special. Remember, the church was formed by the Jews, and they had come from all over and had encountered the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. And the Jewish people of that era, of Jesus' time and afterwards, were a people who lived in an occupied country, occupied by a violent, hierarchical Roman government. They were a people who were generally poor and certainly oppressed. They were a people who um, were highly taxed, without representation, I might add, and often the people putting the taxes in place were of their own kin who had come into cahoots with the Romans. And I think we know that poverty was rampant. So issues of hunger and early death were persistent. And out of this extraordinary, sorrowful life comes an opportunity to be something different, comes an opportunity to respond to the life of Jesus, his death and resurrection, and to respond to the coming and the anointing and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. 
Now, as I said, when they gather, they have some unique characteristics. They, they gather together on a regular basis. They pray. They break bread. They, um, they are in community. And the most miraculous of all the things that they do is that if someone in their community has a need, they pool their resources and they give to that one who is in need. This is miraculous for poor people, oppressed people, to be so transformed that they give of their limited resources so that all can have enough. And then, believe it or not, they ex express this experience with glad, the scripture says, with glad and generous hearts. Now, doesn't that just make your heart feel warm and sparky inside? That they, they uh, worshiped with glad and generous hearts. Well, I want to talk about the challenge for us today in light of all of that. Y'all know that one of my favorite uh, authors is Diana Butler Bass, and she writes a weekly blog, and this week's blog, she addressed the challenges facing the Southern Baptist Convention, and might we say all denominations and churches, by looking back on how we got there. How did we get to where we are? And why are we not more like that first church we find in today's reading? Now, what she explains is that she had grown up United Methodist, and at her church, uh, they tended to focus on the Gospels and the uh, Acts of the Apostles and listen to the teachings of Jesus, you know, the things that Jesus said, uh, the first will come last and the last will be first, uh, you know, feed the hungry, care for the poor. I mean, lots, lots of, of things. But then as a teenager at 15, she was in a youth group in Scottsdale, Arizona, in the Scottsdale Bible Church. And she experienced, instead of the focus on Jesus' teachings out of the Gospels and the Acts of the Apostles, the focus on Paul's teachings, the Apostle Paul's letters. So, you know, Ephesians 5 and 6. Now, as a good Methodist, I didn't know that was Ephesians 5 and 6. I had to look it up. Because, you know, I know the scripture, I just don't know its address. But I know it's addressed now. So... You know this passage. It starts with, Wives, be subject to your husbands as you are to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, just as Christ is the head of the church, the body of which he is the Savior. Just as the church is subject to Christ, so also wives ought to be in everything to their husbands. It goes on. It goes on and on about who is subject to who, and inevitably... Everybody is subject to Jesus Christ, but the husbands get the good deal, okay? And what this does is it sets up a hierarchical structure, putting men, mostly the men in authority, we might say today white straight males, in authority, uh, right under God with the responsibility of protecting and providing for wives and children, and taking care of their profession and activities, and then followed by wives who are to care for children and the home and wifely activities. Interestingly, this is the hierarchical structure of their Roman 
oppressors. Okay? Now stay with me. We're going to get there. We're going to come back to Acts and the, new ch- and, the, and the church. So stay with me. It would be a few years later when Butler Bass would have an aha moment in the reading and studying of Galatians, chapter 3. You've heard this also. There is no longer Jew or Greek. There is no longer slave or free. There is no longer male and female, for all of you are one in Christ Jesus. Now that's a wrestling match there, right? You got Ephesians over here, and you got Galatians over here, and if you have any dissonance at all, they don't fit together, do they? And so Paul actually contradicts himself, right? So (laughs) often. So what evolved... What then evolved was an understanding of not only how the church and believers and followers of Jesus should be organized, but how the whole world should be organized, according to Ephesians. Now, the Ephesian way of looking at this organization is called complementarianism. And that means that while all human beings are equal in dignity, they have different and complementary roles in God's plan. That's the position put out by Ephesians. She writes in Galatians, on the other hand, there is a focus on egalitarianism, believing that Jesus had decisively broken down the boundaries of religion, class, and gender, and that the whole realm of God that Jesus proclaimed was a commonwealth of human solidarity that permanently ended hierarchies of role, status, and privilege. Now, what are we to do about this? So, Barbara Brown, I mean, uh, Diana Butler Bass, excuse me, offers a commentary on what she learned and what some of us already know but may not have thought about recently. You see, biblical scholars agree that there are three types of writings found in Paul's letters. Authentic Paul, disputed or pseudo-Paul, and non-Paul. Okay? Now, remember that Paul's... Now, listen, this is really important that you remember this. Paul's writings precede all of the Gospels and the Acts of the Apostles. They are the first to appear in the witness of Jesus Christ. Ephesians is considered now by most biblical scholars as pseudo-Paul. And it comes much later. Some believe long after Paul wrote and wrote his letters and was likely more likely written by one of Paul's disciples. It is more reflective of a hierarchical structure of authorities and also a church that is no longer a movement but is an organization, right? Galatians, on the other hand, is considered authentic Paul and is among the first writings, and almost all biblical scholars agree, was actually penned by the Apostle Paul. And perhaps more accurately reflects the teachings of Jesus, which it is closer to, and the spiritual community that arose after Pentecost. 
Now, the question for us is, are we able to recapture this spiritual community, this spiritual accountability, the support of those in need, support for our neighbors in need that is revealed in the early church? Our challenge today is for the church to embrace difference and to stay at the table despite our differences. And that's where we're having problems because people are leaving the church by droves because of the differences that we're finding. And in fact, the United Church of Christ has suffered greatly from that as churches have decided they don't like what the prophetic voice of the national church is and so they leave the denomination. So the good news in this scripture, however, is that the words from Galatians may well have been a part of an early baptismal ritual. New Testament scholar Stephen Patterson writes that Galatians must have been finally about imagining a world in which female slaves could be leaders of free men, where foreigners and native-born stood up with equal power and equal rights. Baptism was about solidarity and the knowledge that everyone is a child of God. And Butler Bass writes, Jesus was an egalitarian radical, and appropriately enough, so was Paul, the authentic one, not the disputed one. (laughs) The real Paul. Amen. Amen? Yeah. And the great good news in all this talk about Ephesians and Galatians is this. The Gospels come later, and in the Acts of the Apostles, even, you know, even though it is far removed from the event of the death and resurrection of Jesus, still this story prevails. Do you hear it? This story of this egalitarian church that was formed in the name of Jesus, that became the followers of the way, this is what remains. It is still part of our faith witness today. And the good news for us today, and the question we ask is, How can we, the Church of Jesus Christ in the 21st century in the United States of America, learn from this? I mean, here's how we learn that Christian community is more than ideas. It is expressed in actions. A true faith community means that some will have to give up something in order for others to get something, to receive what they need. A true faith community will account for differences in prosperity and power and privilege between the members of our community. The impact of these differences in opportunity, in education and employment, we must address. And we must recognize that while many of us have forged ahead, there have been many who have been left behind. If we are to be a true faith community, New Church, Chiesa Nuovo, United Church of Christ, if we are to be a true faith community, the United Church of Christ, then we're going to have to move towards solutions to these problems with the same spirit-led zeal that caused early Christians to pool their resources and declare their common lot. I'm in this community with you. I'm in this community with you. And here's how we get there. We move from membership toward relationship, which is belonging. We move from rules toward practice, which is behavior. We move from dogma or church law toward experience, which is believing. And here's the caveat. 
There is absolutely nothing easy about this. Years ago, when I first began teaching worship at Bright Divinity School, I watched a video that took my breath away, and I made sure I showed it to them. You may know that the largest church in the United Church of Christ denomination is Trinity United Church of Christ in Chicago, Illinois. It is pastored by the Reverend Dr. Otis Moss III, and if you really ever want to be, you know, put on your tiptoes about your faith, I encourage you to watch his sermons. In this particular sermon, he was talking about the church and the need for people to help each other. And, and, and at the end of his sermon, and it's a huge church, I'm talking thousands of people every Sunday. He said, how many of you in here are in need? Anybody need a job? How many of you in here are in debt? Anybody need help with your debt? How many of you, and he went on and named all the struggles of our American life. And then he said, I want all of y'all to come forward. And so slowly, people made their way to the front of the chancel. And then he looked out at the congregation and he said, now, how many of you know how to manage money? And people began to raise their hand. And how many of you have additional resources that you could help with somebody who is in need. And, how, and he then began to rattle off all the things that would meet the needs of the people standing up at the front. And he said, now I want you to come forward and I want you to meet each other and I want you to begin to form a relationship with each other so true, transformative help can occur. And you, you can't believe it. I mean, they came forward and, and the noise in the, in the sanctuary as they were talking and, and people were weeping and uh, both the givers and the receivers were weeping and, and they were so deeply moved and the spirit moved in them. And pretty soon, you know, the music started and then the choir began to sing and then everybody in the sanctuary stood and applauded. It is, and you know, I looked and looked for that video. I couldn't find it anywhere because I wanted to show it to you. But I'm going to find it someday, and I'm going to make sure you get to see it because it is transformative. So, let us belong to each other. Let us practice our faith together. Let us be the church. The church that God is calling us to be. Together again, as we come out of this pandemic, as we, as we move to be together and recover our hope. Thanks be to God. Amen.